0: Hello and welcome to Civ News. I'm Ryan Banfield, and today we're going to try our first interview. Uh, Now, with the interviews that will be going on on uh, the Civ News podcast, I intend to uh, be kind of minimal in terms of the edits that I will make of this recording, uh, meaning... Uh, well, this will allow you to hear the entire, most of the entire conversation, but this also means that the recording that you'll hear will not really sound clean. It'll probably have a lot of uh, unedited stuttering and backtracking and uhs and hmms and o's and stuff like that. But either way, uh, this will be the first of a few interviews on this podcast. And while most episodes of this podcast deal with uh, the affairs of the public sector, Today's interview will touch on a slightly different topic. It'll largely talk touch on the intersection between public policy and the elected realm of Canadian politics. And so, for the the, the person who I have invited to uh, talk about uh, talk about this topic with um, is Mr. Uh, Charlie Dutil, and he is. He is a lot of things, actually. He is a contributor to Rogers TV Ottawa. He participated on their election night panels for both the federal and Ottawa municipal elections. He has been a journalist at La Rotonde. um, He's been a former junior analyst at at the Canadian Radio Television, at the Canadian Radio Telecommunications Commission. See, this is what I'm talking about with the stuttering. He's been a journalist uh, for CJRO 107.9 FM in Ottawa, and most importantly, he is the current new Editor-in-Chief at The Fulcrum, which is uh, University of Ottawa's English language student newspaper. And just as a disclaimer, I know Charlie because I have been a contributor at The Fulcrum myself. Hello, Charlie. How are you? Good. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing great. So COVID nineteen, what a mess!
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it's a shame, really. Um, I, because I, I just hired a whole staff uh, as editor in chief, and we had to do all of that through uh, Zoom and Google Hangouts. So that was kind of a challenge, and you know, you don't get to meet people face to face, so it's always harder to um, just uh, hire people when you don't know them that well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I know that the fulcrum will have uh, a lot to talk about as as the year has. Uh, as the next coming school year is on the way um but um in terms of covid 19's impact now um of course because it, it is a a security threat and because it, of its deadly nature and its strain on the healthcare, it's definitely put a lot of strain on the governments and uh, not just the federal but the municipal and provincial and force them to make, uh, to really prioritize this, this crisis, which is definite, which I think, as we will discuss, has changed the way that um, politics is done in comparison to the year beforehand, where we had a a pretty intense election and a very particularly intense post-election season in the early part of, of 2020. And so, Seeing how you've been following politics uh, a, lot, a lot throughout the years, the first question that I have is, can you elaborate on the rhetorical change from pre-election, post-election, and virus era politics and rhetoric?
1: Well, I think that uh, the first thing that I see is that everything's on hold right now uh, until this uh, pandemic here uh, that we are facing uh, calms down, right? Uh, I mean, before this whole crisis, we were talking about the Wet'suwet'en and nobody talks about that anymore, even though the crisis really hasn't really gone away. We signed uh, pretty much a peace treaty, if you want to call it that. And uh, it's something that we don't really talk about right now uh, with this pandemic. And um, really, like I said, it's put everything on hold. Uh, Of course, the the only thing that's really um, diverged us from this pandemic is the mass shooting in Halifax. Uh, which is a tragedy. tragedy. It's the worst, uh, I think, mass shooting in, in Canadian history. Uh, and that, of course, uh, the Liberals yesterday implemented the uh, assault uh, weapons ban, which is uh, something that they were talking about pre, uh, before the election with the violence in Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal, it's a lot of gun violence, a lot of guns coming in from the uh, southern border. Border. So that's something that was talked before, but um, was on hold before we had that uh, mass shooting and now uh, has passed seemingly with uh, almost no opposition, right? Uh, sure, uh, Mr. Sheer made some comments, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Bloc, the, N- the NDP, and the Liberals all supported uh, that bill.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on one thing that, you, that you've that you said, uh, minimal opposition. Uh, not, not just in reference to the, 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 the new gun legislation, but, Especially when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the, f- the federal government's well the federal parliament's response to the virus, I think that is actually the biggest thing that's that's uh, changed is that there's been a lot more collaboration and the opposition party has kind of changed their roles from approaching this as sort of a a, a criticizing them and, and ripping and tearing through through the, uh, the ruling party through rhetoric to more so actually being collaborative. Um, and an example that I have is uh, in the early days of, of the crisis, it, one of the first uh, bills that the, the liberals tried to, to pass was uh, the $27 billion COVID-19 uh aid package and this was back in uh near the end of march uh sheer called it a power grab he called it uh, undemocratic but in the time since then he's kind of shifted his um shifted his approach and in an interview uh with cbc he said that uh he supports uh, all the economic packages and the, and even though he has various uh changes that his party would propose he's not approaching this in an ultimatum sort of way like he's not trying to hold anybody up um and he also made the statement that uh parliament should take a, a, in his words a team canada approach which means collaboration between the the ruling and opposition parties and this may have actually been an interesting byproduct of the fact that there's an, a minority government in power
1: yeah, I think so. Um, I think at, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I think a lot of politicians underestimated uh, COVID 19. I think it's a fair assessment to say that uh, Mr. Shiro wasn't the only one. Uh, I mean, it was uh, understated by the liberals too in January when they were first uh, alerted to the situation. Um, but I think, uh, yes, there's been a lot of collaboration. There has been some criticism. I think I'm thinking of Mr. Singh's criticism of. Uh, the uh, CESB and the CRB, uh, CERB sorry, that weren't uh, as inclusive as they might have or just they might have should have been uh, in his uh, opinion. So yes there's been a lot of collaborations but there's still some criticism but yes it, in, the, in these times I've seen a lot more uh, collaboration than I've seen before um, and I think it's not just at the federal level I think uh, at the provincial level too um, when you think of Ontario uh, the Liberals and the NDP have supported uh, Doug Ford's government uh, through uh, their efforts uh, with fighting COVID-19 and reopening now the, the province of Ontario. Um, Quebec, same thing. Uh, the Liberals have not talked to, have not uh, criticized uh, Mr. Legault's approach up to now. There has been some rumblings uh, now that he is reopening Quebec quite hastily. Uh, as we know, Quebec does have the mo- uh, most the most cases and most deaths from COVID-19, so it is a questionable decision, but uh, we shall see what happens, but yes, at the federal level, uh, there's been a lot of collaboration, and I think that's something that sh- all parties should be applauded uh, for doing. All right.
0: Huh. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, do you do you know any, or do you observe any other differences in how opposition parties are approaching their roles? Like we've talked about, we've talked about a more collaborative approach, but has there been uh, other ways?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think not going out into the media and trashing on the governing party is one thing that I've seen a lot less of, not that it's not being done, but there's a lot less of it. Um, I'd say a lot of support to the the prime ministers and the premiers, Uh, prime ministers, what I mean by prime ministers is Quebec. They call the premier prime ministers, uh, prime minister, but yeah, I think there's a lot of support uh, towards the, uh, governing party uh, and I think instead of criticizing and saying why a certain bill is wrong they've changed their approach to hey look this is how we can uh, make this bill better why don't we do this and this and that and it's more suggestive suggestions than uh, just re- uh, all-out criticism you know what I mean
0: yeah I, I agree with that like there was there was an interview uh, on CBC where uh, Vassi Capello is the host. Uh, interv- uh, this was posted on April 9th, 2020. He uh, she interviewed Sheer and Singh at separate times, and what they all said, both both the opposition leaders who were interviewed, agreed that the money that was being proposed by the liberals had to get out the door as fast as possible because people need it. But what they just wanted were, were some other changes that would qualify other other people to receive the money. And so I think the urgency of the issue has has really made the opposition parties support the bills that involve money.
1: Yeah, and what yeah, and those bills that involve money and COVID nineteen uh related stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot less partisanship than we've seen in the past. I think that's one thing that I've really observed. Uh, I don't think it's going to stay like that uh, after the pandemic. Uh, I think this is really because we're all realizing that, hey, this is uh, a threat to, you know, humanity in a way. So we should all band together and try to defeat this thing, right? Yeah,
0: I I, to- I totally agree about the... Um, <laughs> I lost my words. I, I agree with the lack of partisanship. Um, like for example, Premier Ford has has praised the the Prime Minister. Uh, the source, uh, thirteen ten News, which is it, which is in Ottawa, says uh, Ford thanks the Prime Minister uh, for his leadership and applauded the decision to close the the, the Canada U.S. border saying he very he's very pleased to see the federal government step up in a big way and then also Trudeau once he was uh addressing the house of commons and he he Trudeau addressed the fact that Ontario has been a bit behind in terms of testing but he didn't use that opportunity to say this is the consequence of a conservative government or something like that uh he he basically implied they're working on it which is definitely a a huge change obviously from the election season where one of his catchphrases was um we can't afford another doug ford
1: (laughs) yeah uh yeah and you're right about that and i think mr ford has also uh thanked the media for example uh something that uh pre pandemic i don't think we would have never seen uh doug ford thank the toronto star for example (laughs) Uh, and it's not to say that there hasn't been some feuds. Uh, I mean, Quebec and Ontario this week, uh, there was a little bit of a feud when uh, Doug Ford called Lagos' plan to reopen, a little uh, irresponsible, and then refused to put a date on his reopening plan. But yeah, there has been some, some feuds, but they're not as uh, big as feuds that we've seen in the past, uh, especially uh, when we think of Quebec and Alberta, maybe. Uh, I know uh, Prime, uh, Premier Kenny has sent a lot of... Uh, uh PPE equipment to Quebec. So that's something that uh we haven't seen uh recently before the pandemic. We haven't seen a lot of collaboration between those two provinces. And I think uh, that's an example of how the pandemic has brought uh different members of the Canadian political realm uh together, really.
0: Mm-hmm. To collaborate.
1: It, seems like, it seems like we've been agreeing
0: a lot through this uh through this interview. Here's here's a question that I think might shake things up. Um I'll say a statement, and then I'll ask if you agree or disagree. Okay the concepts of the concepts of left and right have dissolved during the pandemic reso- response. Do you agree or disagree?
1: I disagree, uh, and here's why it's because we still see uh disagreements on any other uh, subject that isn't uh COvid related. Uh, we saw it uh, yesterday with the gun. Uh, the gun ban. Uh, when we, when Andrew Shear goes out and says that this is not right and that uh, legal gun owners should be allowed to keep their guns, right? Uh, this is an issue, gun control, that for the conservatives is big, especially in the West, uh, where, for example, the Harper government uh, banned the uh, gun registry, right? So stuff like that. I think we're <laughs> still going to see disagreements, and we still do, right? Uh, when uh, Mr. Singh uh, says that students and people from marginalized communities should be included in all the cesb and crb bills that's another partisan uh what's called argument right and if you look at the united states uh that's a whole different beast but left and right are <laughs> extremely present still
0: yeah yeah for sure in the united states like like um you're right about that being a, dif- a different beast and them inching towards uh an election means that there's no way this this fight is gonna just go away even though it's been story number two in the wake of the pandemic
1: yeah for Uh, sure um and i I, but i'd say canada it has taken a step back but it's definitely still present
0: yeah but before i present my uh my response to the to the question that i asked uh i just i just want to check something the the gun ban was it actually that people won't be able to keep their guns or 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 is it that, like, all sales and transfers are are gone, meaning people can keep what they already own?
1: So from my understanding, um, there's 1,500 uh, assault weapon styles and types that are going to be uh, banned. Uh, first, you can't sell them anymore, right, immediately. But people that do own them uh, right now can keep them for a period of two years. I think it's a grace period. Um, and they will be eventually uh, compensated for uh, their... Uh, assault style uh, weapons from uh, there's was, going to be a bill written up by the liberals in the future that's what i think mr trudeau said yesterday
0: a buyback program
1: right yeah a sort of buyback program yeah
0: okay all right yeah that's that's a good that's a good uh, clarifying thing uh because i i wasn't sure if uh if people were just able to keep what they own or or if it's just going to be gone uh, but to to answer to, to give my response, I actually kind of disagree. Uh, I mean sorry, I disagree with you, and I do agree that the concepts of the left and the right have kind of dissolved during the pandemic response and and of course, the greatest example of this would be would be Doug Ford, like I think when times are are better than this, of course, he's a fiscal conservative um, but in the wake of the pandemic him and a lot of other politicians have put aside partisanship, which is something that you agreed with in favor of just doing what needs to be done. And I don't think if, since there's an objective answer for what needs to be done, I don't think that that can be classified as a, as a left or right issue. Like for, uh, for example, Ford adopting pay raises for frontline staff, that was something that he, he wouldn't have done before, before the pandemic, but it's, um, it's just become a matter of, uh, of what's, what's, the, what's the right thing to do rather than what is the left or right thing to do.
1: I agree with um that on the pandemic front. Yes, there's been uh definitely like the left and right has ceased to uh exist uh for the right thing, like you said. I think that's uh, that's true. But for any other issue, I think there's still a left and right uh views of those issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's still early days since the uh since the 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 gun ban has been introduced. And so we'll see if that just completely just takes away this sort of this sort of um Concept level level of what I would call better, more civil communication.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's something that we're going to have to see after the pandemic, see how it goes um, and going into the next election, probably.
0: Yeah. And this, this leads us into that, that question that I was planning on asking, which you've already kind of, uh, answered, which is, um, do you think this, uh, this better period of political conversation will last?
1: um I it's a good question but I don't think so I think eventually we will go back to normal where people um argue about stuff uh on the left and the right and where um Canada is pretty divided uh into a separate group of uh nations uh in a way when you think about uh Quebec, Alberta, the West um even Ontario which all have their own uh political uh identities and goals and you know that stuff.
0: Yeah. And just, in
1: yeah. parliament I think it's you know going to go back to conservative block, liberal, NDP and greens, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately I kind of have to uh, agree with you there. Like I'm maintaining a little bit of hope and optimism that the way that the parties have been talking with each other these days I I'm maintaining hope that this will last. For a while longer, at least in the realm of of when people are actually communicating and trying to develop policy because of course elections are going to be cutthroat you 're supposed to compare yourself to others okay. that's that 's the nature of elections, but <clears throat> I really hope that that uh, when it comes to actually actual policy development that people will learn something from this about this method of collaboration actually being somewhat effective and satisfying?
1: I, I think um, one thing that we're going to see is that uh, the, pro- the byproducts of this uh, pandemic, such as uh, the messes right now, that, uh, the stuff that's going on in old folks homes, for example, uh, that's going on on reserves where um, they're not equipped to, to, to deal with um, the situation, uh, which is in, in part a byproduct of us, well, us, the, the political sphere, uh, ignoring those and not, you know, not agreeing on anything uh, related to uh, First Nations uh, politics, or uh, just ignoring completely in this country nursing homes and private like regulations for owning a nursing home, for example. I think those are things that we're going to see a lot more collaboration on in the future, because we saw what not uh, paying attention to those for years uh, has done. Uh, In the worst case scenario, I think that's something where uh, Canadian politicians are going to agree to, uh, you know, do a lot more to make those places better and to help those people.
0: Yes. Yeah, that these these parts of the conversation have kind of become a part of the forefront because, well, I mean, higher death rates That, that becomes noticeable
1: yeah I think something that a lot of people uh ignore is that yes, Quebec has the highest number of cases, but around seventy to seventy five percent of those cases are all in are all in uh, nursing homes, uh which is why you're going to have a, a higher death rate because this disease uh is deadly for older people and people with underlying conditions, uh which makes up the large majority of people that are in you know nursing homes
0: hmm. This, this kind of leads uh, into a, a question, of uh, a couple of questions about the media. And so I'll, I'll introduce, there are two questions that I want to ask. Do you want me to introduce both at once or one at a time?
1: Uh, I don't mind. You can, however you uh, feel comfortable doing it.
0: Okay. Uh, I'll introduce both at once because they're both kind of uh, similar. So, so uh, some of the biggest stories on the news. Uh, in the mainstream media have been uh the aid packages the bills that have been that have been introduced uh using uh in total hundreds of billions of dollars in order to you know provide money to people and provide mm-hmm. subsidies uh you know the deal we we've we've yeah. talked about this to uh,
1: alleviate the financial strain of the pandemic uh, yeah. on people right yeah
0: and something that we've also seen is the news um, broadcasting the, the, the chief health experts for each region, whether it be, uh, of course, Dr. Tam for Canada, and then the, the counterparts for each of the provinces and territories, and then even some, some top-ranking doctors for the cities, which means to an extent there has been an increased visibility of, of civil servants on news channels that usually talk about elected reps and so the the two questions that i have are do you agree or disagree that the mainstream media is talking uh, directly about legislation and policy more than in the pre-virus period and also do you agree or disagree that the mainstream media has focused uh, sorry has shifted their focus away from talking dominantly about the elected realm
1: of politics. Um, I think uh, the answer to the first question. I think yeah, you're right. Um, they focus way more on policy now. Uh, if we think of CRB and CESB, um, they really talk about who's included in in those policies, uh, who's eligible, uh, what what kind of money you're going to get, uh, how it's going to impact your taxes, um, and all that stuff. Right. Whereas before, um, we'd have a bill introduced and they'd pitched the big concepts, right? Um, for example, uh, I'm thinking of Bill uh, C-21 uh, here in Quebec where um, there was, it was the ban on all uh, religious signs, right? Uh, where they just say, okay, this means that any public servant uh, displaying a hijab or a cross would not be able to wear those anymore, right? Uh, but they never concentrated on the actual uh, integ- integralities of the law uh, and the exceptions and stuff like that, right? The cost of that. Now they really uh, talk about that stuff, and I think that's something that uh, is really helpful. Um, they don't try to de- debate everything. I think that's another thing that's really helpful. Uh, they explain to people how to apply for uh, those uh, those benefits, and I and you know I think that's really helpful. Your second question. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to remember what your second question was. What was it?
0: Second question. Uh, do you agree or disagree that? Mainstream media has shifted focus away from talking dominantly about the elected realm of politics.
1: Uh, What do you mean by elected realm? You mean just Just, talk about, yeah.
0: Just the, uh, just the elected people rather than talking about people in the bureaucracy and people in the uh, the civil service and the healthcare system. uh, Like talking, have they shifted away from talking almost solely about the the elected people
1: um i wouldn't say too much because they still talk a lot about the premiers and the prime minister and the and the mps right um but they do have they do you know listen and talk about uh public servants like you said such as uh theresa tam and uh dr horatio here in quebec or in the states i can't sorry i can't remember ontario's um uh, person of uh public uh health uh, but they, they they really talk about uh, doctors and uh, agents of uh, public uh, health safety. I don't know exactly what their titles are, but um, the doctors that are uh, behind the legislation, I think they, they have really highlighted them. I think that's really good um, and that's important. But do I think that's going to last post-pandemic? Probably not. But yes, they have shifted a little way, but not too much. I, I wouldn't say it's been a drastic impact. Like we don't talk about... Somebody that, uh, like, we don't talk about the head of the CRA, for example, like, or the head of the Canadian uh, Ministry of Transports uh, that works directly with the Minister of Transports. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: The DMs and stuff like that. If,
1: if it was concentrated on that, maybe we would, but it's a health related issue, uh, pandemic, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. And those are the people who are going to be highlighted uh, with said pandemic.
0: Yeah, what I was thinking about these two questions, I came up with uh, another sort of similarly nuanced uh, answer. Like, um, when it comes to whether you're talking about uh, legislation and policy, more or less, I do agree that I do agree that um, the the the, uh, the presentation on the media has shifted more to the the substance rather than the the imagery of the politics but uh regarding regarding uh talking about civil servants i think they're doing something in between uh, talking solely about the elected reps rather than shifting focus away i think that they are talking about administrative decisions but in the context of the elected reps showing only a few um civil servants and also not talking about all of the new policies and the example that i have for this is here's a goal uh there's a global news article by hannah jackson posted uh april 4th updated april 6th and it's about canada's uh canada receiving millions of masks uh from from china because uh the n95 masks they um there was a bit of a, a, a difficult time getting them in, uh, but this this article is to confirm that yes, they will be on the way. But the thing is, it cites statements from Justin Trudeau. It cites statements from uh, Theresa Tam, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. It talks a little bit about the, the involvement of President Trump in the in this decision. Um, And even though, just to add on to this, even though this was big news, what wasn't such big news is that GM in their uh, Oshawa plant, which was hugely controversial last year because it it closed, uh, they're going to be manufacturing new, they're going to be manufacturing masks, which kind of alleviates the, the stress to source these masks internationally. Uh, And while this was talked about, like in front of me is a CBC article that talks about it, while this was covered in the mainstream media, it wasn't covered nearly as much as uh, the struggle to get the the 3M masks from China. And what what this shows is that, to me, is that the media is talking about administrative decisions, but kind of a watered down form of the administrative decisions and citing elected reps and only pretty much the top doctors
1: yeah i, I think i things? agree sorry
0: um, yeah that's what i'm saying
1: i think i agree with that um there's a couple of, thing I, there's a couple of things i will say and that add, add to what you said um i think one thing we've seen is that the media um has uh and leads people to trust more on the health experts than the elected officials uh right now and i think they've really highlighted how uh, Doctor Dr. Teresa uh, Tam, for example, is not elected. Um, she's somebody that, uh, through her skills and knowledge of medicine, really got to her position. Of course, it's luck, and there's some, you know, uh, connections. But uh, same thing in the states. I mean, people trust Dr. Fauci. They don't trust Donald Trump uh, when it comes to medical advice, right? Um, you're not- yeah,
0: doc- Dr. Fauci. Uh, I didn't really want to talk uh, too much about the United States, but this this is actually very relevant. That, that Dr. Fauci is an interesting case because he's got he's one of the few people currently in American politics and I do say politics because it does have to do with the affairs of the state. He's one of the few people in American politics who actually has bipartisan support, which is yeah. very impressive.
1: Oh, uh, Exactly, that's what I mean that like they're not, they're people that uh, aren't controversially uh, elected, like they, they don't have people that voted against them, you know what I mean? Um, but hmm. to that there's that point. And there's also the point that, um, this pandemic has really shown our over-reliance on China, uh, when it comes to uh, medical equipment, especially, and for sure other stuff too, but, um, like how come in Canada, we don't produce any of that stuff, right. On a regular basis. Uh, I get that, uh, the economics of our outsourcing that stuff to China, uh, see Mexico, Bangladesh, those countries, uh, makes those uh, materials cheaper. Uh, but still, we should have local uh, industries that are able to produce those on short nor- uh, notice, or that regularly, uh, you know, make uh, N95 masks and stuff like that, right?
0: Yeah, I, I I I do agree. This is another thing that we agree about. Um, I do hope that this sort of push for for domestic manufacturing is something that will kind of last even though I think much of this pandemic will actually kind of be forgotten once, once the actual, once we're out of the real thick of it.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing too, we're going to have to rebuild our economy. So I think a lot of the messaging post pandemic will be, Hey, buy local, buy from Ottawa manufacturers, buy from Ontarians, you know, uh, buy from Quebecers, buy from Canada, you know? Uh, So I think that's going to be one of the big things where uh, we really push to, uh, you know, buy from local businesses so they can rebuild and, uh, hire people from here. Right. And, produ- uh, help the economy, uh, rebuild itself, uh, post COVID-19.
0: Speaking of post virus trends, I want to hear what you think. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on somebody else's, uh, idea of how the pandemic is changing politics. Now, um, this, there, there's a National Post opinion article posted by uh, Marie E. Derosier. Sorry, I don't have the name completely yeah, uh, Marie E. Derosier and Philip yep, Lagasse. Lagasse. Thank you. That's all, right. That's all right. So the the two of them, Derosier, De, DeRosier and uh, Lagasse, they have written uh, an article uh, that says, as far as politics goes, the COVID-19 pandemic changes everything, or does it? And to summarize the article, they basically present the argument that um, the mistakes and imperfections by the government response due to their limited information, especially at the beginning, may further public distrust in government presented science, contrary to what you said, which could fuel populist Uh, disruptive politics and they also say that the pandemic worsening the inequalities uh, for the least privileged could increase the ideological split between political factions meaning post-COVID Canada could basically uh, be like today's Canada politics wise but way worse so what are your thoughts on that
1: can you just reread your question sorry
0: uh, what are your thoughts on uh, their article? Um, what are, What are your thoughts on the basic the basic argument that they've presented? And I guess I, I guess I've kind of put you on the spot because you haven't read the whole thing and all. Yeah, I'm just scrolling things.
1: through it right now um, as we speak. Um, I think it's it's a valid argument. Now, it could happen, but I, I doubt it. I mean, can't maybe non Canada uh maybe in the united states we've seen it before but uh i don't think it's gonna happen in canada that's all i'm gonna say about it i'm not uh as familiar with the whole article so i can't really comment that well on it right
0: yeah yeah um in terms of their argument i kind of disagree with a couple of points but i mean only time will tell maybe they're dead on yeah (laughs) maybe maybe. i mean
1: maybe we're wrong you know or maybe they're dead wrong
0: you're right but but um in terms of the imperfections in the government response fueling science denial essentially um, that may not be actually the case because because as you said, something that I agree with this has led people to trust science more um,
1: yeah no I think so I think uh, more. yeah science definitely is uh, more trusted um, now we'll see how that translates to uh, different. Things like global warming, for example, will that change? Who knows? Um, will this pandemic be somehow linked to global warming? Maybe. Um, but yeah, we'll see. You know? Or even
0: more interestingly, because if if Canada makes it through this, well, um, an argument that I think we'll see presented from from the voting public is is the idea that um, Canada actually went head on and dealt with a crisis as, as it should be dealt with um, for COVID-19, why can't they do it the same for, for climate change? And so that'll, that may actually be an argument, which feels a lot, a lot of uh, climate activism.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think also another uh, era that's going to be impacted by this is uh, animal rights, right? Um, especially if uh, it really came out of a wet market in China. Um that's something that uh maybe not in canada because we don't have wet markets but the chinese government will definitely have to do something hopefully to limit uh the spread of a new infection you know yeah. but one thing i will say um canada's response if it keeps going the way it's going and right now it's going well um you know compared to other countries might help her standing on the world stage too um i mean germany's another country that's done relatively well uh, uh, against this epidemic. And I think uh, we might be used by other countries as an example of what to do uh, in future uh, pandemics and future, I guess, catastrophes of this type. That
0: is interesting. That's something I didn't really consider. I didn't uh, really consider the international realm of of all of this. Um, But just to note um, that argument about uh, we're dealing with COVID, why can't we deal with climate change in a similar way? That, that argument has actually been presented in uh, an article that is, exists already, actually, by Anna Dodd, uh, posted in uh, the Thai newspaper. Okay. And let me just look through all the questions that I, ha- uh, I have regarding COVID-19 and politics, because I've asked most of them.
1: I think one thing also that's going to be interesting to see is the retribution towards China after um, this is all over, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But let's not get into that, just that's a a whole other can of worms.
0: Well, I mean, say what you want about it. Um, Well, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'm not very well versed in this subject. um, So, so what's a good summary of, of what you're thinking?
1: Well, first of all, I think uh, it's going to be important to determine, really, and it's going to be hard because this is a communist regime that's uh, notorious for lying, really. Uh, we don't even know what exactly is going on in China right now consider, like with their numbers and stuff like that, right? Uh, they
0: claim to have no cases.
1: Yeah, but again, is that true? Yeah, we don't I know. know. Right? <laughs> uh, and where did, this, did it really come from the wet market, or is it from that lab, right, that uh, a lot of people are talking about? Uh, mm-hmm. and if it's from that lab, this is on the scale of a biological weapon, right? Um, so a lot of people are going to blame China for their economies and stuff like that. Uh, I, now, I don't think it's going to lead to war, but I think there's going to be a lot of sanctions on China. Um, and I, I doubt it's going to lead to internal changes, but who knows? And also the other thing, too, is that China, uh, if they truly have zero cases right now, would... In a way, become this world superpower when you think about it, because the United States right now is a mess. So you know, that's one of those things to to think about. Actually, but I doubt they have zero cases.
0: Speaking of China, um, I I would have thought as well about the uh, that that this this uh, crisis could lead China to become the de facto superpower, considering how they got out basically. Dealt with their crisis, um, where while other countries were just getting into it, but on YouTube I found a very interesting um, counter argument to that idea, and I'm gonna find it just a sec.
1: But again, in no way am I a specialist on China or Chinese politics. Uh, this is all stuff that you know I've heard and that uh, I just think could happen, and you know may very, very well be happening right now.
0: All right, so I found the the very interesting video that I was talking about. It is from the YouTuber, Jack Chappie. And he basically, the the video title is is called, there's a crisis that is quietly creating new economic superpowers. And the video basically presents the argument that um, because this crisis shut down Chinese manufacturing for a time, um, that world uh, multinational corporations don't really aren't, aren't going to really trust china to be their their manufacturing hub anymore and so they're going to look to other countries uh, to do their manufacturing and india and mexico in particular will be the new manufacturing uh giants while <laughs> while essentially the the global manufacturing economy becomes deconcentrated from from china into other other uh, places but of course like uh, I too am no expert on China and so we'll just have to see
1: I mean it's definitely something to, uh, to think about it's definitely something that could happen uh, but who knows
0: hmm so having talked a lot about uh, the elected realm of politics and policy There's something else I would definitely like to talk to you about, which is your experience working with the the Canadian Radio Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC, because that specific group is is somewhat powerful, but also not talked about a lot. And I listen to a lot of radio, and so I I understand full well the, the CanCon quotas and stuff, but in Canadian media, it seems like this, this omnipresent force that's also not widely understood. So I, I really want to get the perspective uh, of, of why it, it is from, from somebody who's actually worked kind of from the inside of it, because you've been a junior analyst, right? So yeah. the first question that I have is, what is a summary of the CRTC's powers and tasks from the perspective of someone who has been involved in it?
1: it's uh that's a very big uh it englobes a lot of things the CRTC um it goes from your phone bills for example uh to making sure there's no uh corporation like Bell or Rogers that gets a monopoly of the market uh in any uh telecommunications uh sector so internet radio uh, newspapers uh all that stuff right um to you know Canadian content like you said uh, making sure that uh, radio stations uh, play 35% of, uh, you know, Canadian content. That's a classic example right there. Uh, but, you know, in French, for example, they have to play uh, 55% Francophone content. So stuff like that. Right. Um, man. So I worked in radio broadcasting mostly. So I was a, uh, I would analyze uh, radio content, uh, make sure that there was a lot of Canadian content, enough Canadian content, and just do uh, broadcast analysis. Uh, and also, uh, We started doing, during my time, a Maple, I guess, database, uh, where we just uh, took, you know, artists and songs and made sure they were Canadian. And then eventually, I guess, that project's going to be sent out to uh, radio stations. Uh, I can't talk to what's going on anymore with that project because I'm not there anymore, right? Um, But yeah, so that stuff. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) it's it's a very big agency, to be honest. I have my opinions on it. I don't really want to give them out on, uh, on everything. Cause there's it, it go. It's really case by case. You no. Know?
0: Okay. So like, basically there's a, there's a big chart out there that's like lists all of the artists names and lists, whether they fit the, whether they fit the, um, enough of the categories that classify them as Canadian, which are called the maple categories.
1: Yeah. So I can explain that uh, a bit in, in details right now. What's going on is that, um, there's going to be radio analysis, uh, radio, uh, radios have to send in their, uh, you know, playlists and stuff like that. Uh, and then we analyze it, right. Uh, based on, you know, if this is the song Canadian, uh, to be Canadian, a song basically, and this is all on the CRTC website, uh, has to fit four criterias, uh, which is, sorry, I'm blanking right now. I'm just, I'll come back to the end. The M. Oh I, yeah. I, I and actually... Yeah. M is music is the music. Like the musicians that compose the music, Canadian. So, like, let's say you have a a band that has five members. Let's just say all the members are Canadian, so that, that fills the M, okay? The music is composed by Canadians. Then you have the A, which is uh, artists, the artist, the main artist. So, let's say uh, the band's name are the majority of the band's members Canadian. If yes, that's Canadian. P, was music produced in Canada? So, was it, re- like, was the recording studio where they recorded the music in Canada? Uh, if it's in Vancouver, Toronto, wherever. Yes, if it's not Canada, no, it doesn't fill that requirement. And then the L was the lyrics, the lyricist, the person that wrote the lyrics. Were they Canadian, right? So you have to have two, two of the two out of the four uh, letters for a song to be considered Canadian. Yeah.
0: I once wrote a project that partly involved uh, talking about the CRTC, and the way that I summarized it was: for most radio stations, the CRTC mandates that at least 35% of their content. Must be Canadian defined as filling at least two of the four criteria of being composed, recorded, performed, or lyrically written by a Canadian is that yeah, That's here?
1: exactly it that's cool. a that's a more uh, proper way of putting it basically
0: <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't use the acronym, but I needed I needed to keep my word count low for the for the essay
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly uh, what it is though yeah uh, so since
0: since you were actually analyzing content. This um, leads me to ask the question: How does the CRTC influence the content of the media?
1: Yeah, so um, I think it creates—I don't want to say an artificial uh, Canadian content bubble—but without the CRTC, there probably wouldn't be uh, as many Canadian artists or French Canadian artists, right? Because it just—they wouldn't get the airtime that they get right now. And maybe right now it's not as important as it was back in the seventies or eighties or nineties, um, but it still creates that kind of bubble in that way. On, on the side of the more, more of the business side here, I think things would be very different without the CRTC. We'd probably have uh, American, t- uh, you know, cellular companies here. Uh, we'd probably have more of a mo- like monopolized the uh, telecommunication system, uh, which is, I think that's where the CRTC excels. Um, But also fails the public, because I think uh, it's also one of the reasons why our bills are so high. But yeah, so I think there's some advantages, disadvantages, and it's a very big agency. Like, it's very big, right? Um, So it's hard to put it in just one simple answer. It's more department by department, in a way.
0: Sorry, I'm just finding another statistic that I cited in, in my essay. Now, the stats are kind of scarce, Um, but according to the Canadian Independent Music Association, Canadian independent music has contributed over $300 million in GDP to the Canadian economy, employing over uh, 13,400 Canadians. And this is from a group that, of course, has a vested interest in making Canadian music look good for the country but but this this statistic is 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 interesting
1: yeah so one thing i would like to know and is how much of that um number right there would be deduced if we talked about all the grants and funds that the canadian and provincial governments uh give out to artists every year that's something that uh i've never had a hand in ever so i don't even want to get into it so but yeah It is something to learn so that's something that you probably would have to do a foi for to get but yeah that's something that's very interesting
0: do you have any um thoughts or opinions on the theory that um the crtc is largely to blame for the fact for the um three-party oligopoly that controls uh canadian cell service
1: um yes i mean i'll take three over one that's all i'll say (laughs)
0: Huh. Huh. Okay. But yeah. That's that's not the perspective that I I was expecting.
1: But I'd say, I'd say there's more than three, because there's a couple of independents that you might not know in Ontario, Quebec. Um, but yeah, outside of I in the big provinces, yeah, the the big provinces. I mean Quebec and Ontario. There's yeah, like you said, only three really, big ones. Um, and then there's also, I guess I don't think they do a lot of phone stuff, but. You got video town in Quebec which is a different one. Hmm. All right. Um, so that's apart from Shaw Bell and Rogers.
0: Learning things, I'm learning things. What what do people typically not know or misunderstand about the CRTC?
1: Oh, uh, that's a that's a hard one because ah I think um they just think it's like radio related. I mean, that's a big one um that it incomp- uh, uh, like it englobes so much more than just that i think that's a big one um just how many people work there there's oh it's a big uh age like it's it could be its own almost like minute like you know how like the health uh minister has its own like employees and stuff like that well the CRTC could be its own like minister really that's how big it is uh, of course it it falls under um heritage, but yeah it could definitely be its own thing
0: that's interesting Because yeah.
1: uh 'cause 'cause i know they have a they have a dedicated building right it's the one
0: that's just across the river from from ottawa
1: yeah it's uh it's a partage, yeah well i guess yeah it it's their own building yeah but it's like uh yeah it's like a complex where there's like many uh buildings for so example like in the complex, there's also like some CRA stuff, and there's also um, Indigenous Affairs. That's uh, right across the the. Anyways, it's just uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, now, now you, you've you've been um, involved in journalism for a while now um, on in radio, on television, through uh, various student newspapers, and so. It largely largely on topics of politics, and so my question is, do you have any advice for people who are passionate about politics and want to be politically involved
1: like in the political realm and not in the media realm right um
0: either either what, whatever you want
1: be careful uh who you hire hey no no, no no, no, like what I mean is like I'm kidding, I'm just messing with you, yeah, be careful what you say. And always remember that somebody's keeping tabs on you. So like your expenses and stuff like that, always be careful because that can be traced back really easily. Right. I don't know. That's what I'd say. Um, And just maybe like bring new ideas to the table. I think that's always uh, important when you go into politics and stuff like that. But yeah, just be very careful because you never know what can be dug up on you or who can, you know, turn on you and stuff like that so yeah that's that's what i'd say
0: so just try to have a clean record uh if you're if you're um, yeah going into actually influence policy yourself and also if you're going into the media realm
1: yeah Ex- yeah don't anything once you're in that realm everything about your private life is in public is in the public sphere really so just be careful about that you know
0: that is interesting to know uh that, that is that is good advice uh, and and definitely some advice that I, I will be thinking about and so before we wrap this up do you have any anything more to say about any of the topics we've discussed today or anything you want to ask me
1: yeah i just finished uh that, that answering that question for a second i just thought of something um also be very careful with your social media right what you post you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Um, because that's so easy to dig up. But yeah, so that's what I'd say, um, coming from a reporter who does that, who does that digging up, right? Um, but yeah, um, any questions for you? Uh, not really. Uh, I think it was a really good interview. I think you did a really good job, so yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, this this is the first of a few, um, first of a few Civ News interviews. And um, of course, we we were both, as much on top of our game with with our speaking as we could reasonably be um but this this is something i guess i guess uh, i know that i'm certainly going to have to practice and i think this really was good practice for some o- other interviews later some of which will likely involve more than one person at once
1: yeah and i think so, yeah yeah personally it was kind of weird because i'm used to being on the other side of it where i ask the questions so that's something that's kind of weird but um yeah I just wanted to ask you, um, like, what is exactly Civ News? Like, what are you planning to do with it?
0: That's hard to explain because this is largely just a hobby right now. So, so Civ News is, it is a news source that focuses on the affairs of the public sector. Um, and it's supposed to be kind of listened to in accompaniment to some good, whatever good nonpartisan mainstream source is your favorite because while the mainstream source focuses on politics in the realm of the elected, Civ News would focus on politics in the realm of the appointed. And so this is supposed to help uh, listeners and myself included, because I learn things every time I go research stuff for for an episode, Um, it's supposed to help people have a greater understanding of politics, which is often misunderstood to be mostly the elected mostly the elected realm but the thing is like in terms of federal politics if if you combine the population of the of the parliament that's less than 600 people while the federal public service employs thousands
1: yeah it's less than a percent of the people employed by the federal government
0: yeah and so I, i i think that there there should be more focus on the, the policy its its itself and the actions of people who are you know responsible for implementing rather than just being the the thought the the thought machines and the people creating the sort of imagery around today's politics.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's good. This has been an inter
0: a uh, different interviewing experience for me too, because um I've done lots of interviews for the Fulcrum, but all of them have been um, presented on paper, presented by text, meaning that I could stutter all I wanted (laughs) in the interviews and my questions will look clean at the end and the same thing goes for my uh, interviewees, like they can stutter all they want and the, the response when it's put on paper will be summarized and clipped down and looking better. Um, than the way that it was actually phrased when they said it. And so this will be interesting, interviewing people by podcasts, because even though I will be doing some editing of this episode, just to cut down on some some unnecessary parts that's filled with just silence and stuff okay. like uh and um, parts where we kind of got off topic. The, <laughs> well, yeah, most of the stuttering and backtracking that we did will be in there
1: <laughs> yeah you can't really clean up the quotes in, in a way
0: yeah and so i i want to say thank you for thank you for joining me on the first uh, civ news interview i think we had a very good uh discussion the first of of quite a few good discussions on this uh, podcast so thank you this was uh charlie Dutil. uh he is the uh Current editor for the Fulcrum, which is University of Ottawa's English language student newspaper. Um, anything you want to say before we go?
1: Uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, Ryan. Uh, thank you, Ryan, and uh, I hope you guys learned something.
0: Thank you. This was, this was great. Uh, I hope uh, you all have a great day.